is The Rundown. I am your host, Mike Most. Joining me in studio today, Current Affairs Managing Editor, Chris Seifer. Chris, how you doing today? Uh, it's cold as hell, for the most part, yeah. Much, much of the country is experiencing incredibly cold temperatures. There is a bomb cyclone bomb bearing cyclone. down on the East Coast, which sounds like, uh, sounds like a punk rock band. Well, it's kind of a sexy name. Bomb. It's like a, like a c- cologne. Bomb <laughs> cyclone for men. Um, I'm not a meteorologist. I have to call my sister. One second. Facts. We need facts. Uh, hang on. Hang on a second. I've got, I've got to make a phone call. Okay. Patch him in. Patch him in directly. Hey, what's up, Candace? Hey, I have a very important question for you. How would you describe a bomb cyclone? A bomb cyclone. So, a bomb cyclone just means that the pressure drops more than twenty-four millibars in twenty-four hours. And what what is the effect of that? What does that mean? The effect of that is so basically what happens is number one, you can expect to see a significant precipitation. Thank you, precipitation, and then in the wake of it, because it's so strong, it basically pulls down more cold air. In this case and um, results in more additional freezing cold days after the storm is already gone. So in, in terms of uh, weather-related phenomenon, where would you rank bomb cyclone? Is it up there with polar vortex? <laughs> I mean, it's very much, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that meteorologists are familiar with and have been using for years. So they're not just making um, it up? No, no, they're not just making it up. It's, it's terminology that's been around for a while huh. interesting well, thank you so much <laughs> thank, You're welcome. thank you for illuminating us yeah anytime all right good deal <laughs> and that's how you get expert analysis accredited meteorologist on the rundown get live next item on the agenda what's happening in america today so the Trump administration uh, presented their offshore drilling proposal, which is far beyond anything anyone is, has really uh, anticipated. Uh, they're, they're basically saying that we are going to drill anywhere and everywhere within America's economic exclusion zone uh, with no regard for really anything other than development, uh, which, is, which is a pretty stark change of direction from what has traditionally been the federal government's role in maintaining uh, the public lands for the public interest. You know, the, the people supposedly own these lands, they're public lands, but this policy would essentially privatize the offshore waters. But, however, there is a silver lining in all this because Three miles from the coastline, the states actually control that land. So in order to transport the oil from those offshore drills, they would need a state lease in order to do that. And the states can just refuse uh, building of a pipeline on their state lands. I thought they're at sea, though. Could they not just sail around the state shore? 
I don't know if that would be economically feasible. Right, right, exactly. It seems like it would cost a lot of money to do it that way. Hippie liberals not wanting to exploit their natural resources to the fullest. So, uh, so, and that really goes back to the Santa Barbara incident in the uh, late 60s, uh, which was some point to that as the beginning of the environmental movement when there was a oil spill off the coast in California near Santa Barbara mm-hmm. and uh, just washed up tar balls and killed all kinds of wildlife. And people realized that development, as traditionally understood in the context of industrialization, had a negative environmental consequence. And ever since then, it's it's been pretty well balanced in terms of the national interest. I remember not very long ago, we were having this debate over the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge, the ANWR, mm-hmm. whether or not we we're going to allow drilling there. Um, and we've just leapfrogged that at the at the drop of a dime and now we're saying well actually we're going to drill anywhere and everywhere uh it, it really is a hugely significant change in direction for the for the federal government absolutely so we'll uh, we'll see where that goes so uh, next on the menu jefferson beauregard sessions jeff sesh stop talking the botanicals <laughs> well essentially that's what he's trying to do he's rescinded the uh, coal memorandum which was an obama era law is it a statute, a law, a memo? I mean, I don't exactly know what a memorandum is. is so so there's, there's, there's been a lot of uh, debate and discussion over, over this, whether or not Obama actually had the authority to deschedule marijuana, mm-hmm. uh, whether he should have. And uh, I did some research into this, um, and it, it is kind of convoluted. But the president, the, the executive branch, they do not have the statutory authority to unilaterally deschedule anything that's controlled by the Controlled Substances Act. Um, They can, with the authorization of the Health and Human Resources, Health and Human uh, Services Secretary, the HHS Secretary, they can ask the HHS Secretary to provide an opinion on whether or not there is medical efficacy for for a drug. And uh, if the HHS finds that there is medical cause, then it is under the purview of the attorney general to deschedule a drug. However, it's not permanent. It can, the drug can easily be rescheduled again right. by, by the next administration, which is the situation that we're in. In order to permanently deschedule cannabis, you would need the Congress to update the law, to write a new law saying it is no longer Schedule One and, and it will not be without specific statutory steps. So, I mean, Obama could have uh, directed HHS uh, to... Um, provide that I, he might not have. It's hard to say what would have happened at that right. point. Um, but the amount of political capital that he would have had to expend in order to do that would have been pretty significant. And at the end of the day, we would be in the same situation with Jeff Sessions uh, pretty much rolling back the hope and change of legal weed. That There's no way that the Republican Party would allow as part of its platform that to continue. Exactly. And that's what a lot of people that I've ran across just to understand is that Trump is the Republican Party and the Republican Party is Trump. Like there is no, there is no separation here. And a lot of people put Trump in his own category because of his unorthodoxy and his whatever you want to call it. But, but, you know, people don't ever place Republicans and Trump in the same box. And and I think that's ridiculous. Are they, they're, they're joined at the hip. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's a, it's a weird thing to get in bed with too. Yeah. So we'll circle back around to that because there's some strange stuff going on in terms there's of lots uh, of strange stuff. Going very on. strange days indeed. Uh, one thing to point out in, in terms of, of the uh, of that of the marijuana situation is that this is 
this is something that is directed specifically at blue states. It's going to be dispensaries in West Coast blue states that are targeted, Colorado. Uh, there's 27 states that, that have legalized weed, either medically or recreationally. Uh, sixth largest economy on the planet. Y'all maybe not want to fuck with California so no. much. Wow. So this this will create an interesting dynamic in terms of a disparity of enforcement because we're prioritizing marijuana again. While the opioid crisis, thanks to Purdue Pharmaceutical and the DEA, rages across the country, uh, killing tens of thousands of Americans monthly. Um, and, and the response to that is treatment, support, resources. Absolutely, that should be the approach. But to to... Enforce that in terms of red states and then turn around to blue states and say, hey, y'all are smoking weed. We're going to kick door. We're going to ruin your life. We're going to haul you off. We're going to put you in jail. It's kind of ridiculous. I concur. Dope smoking hippies. Drugs, uh, specifically opioids, are now the leading cause of right. death right. Um, for, for you know, people under 50, which is, which is incredible. Um, it is a crisis. It's a profound crisis of national character. And Trump came into office with this idea that he was going to help, that, that this was going to be one of his priorities. And I would challenge you to really kind of point out what has he actually done to help. Well, what he did, well, he didn't help it, but what he did is that he labeled it a public health crisis instead of a national health crisis. And the change in terminology basically means that if it's a public health crisis, then the states are liable for the cost of that. And the government's intervention of that is very, very uh, limited. So he only uh, put a wet band-aid over a festering wound and it's not going to do anything. I mean, that's not even a Band-Aid. He's telling you to buy a Band-Aid. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, y'all, don't, don't do drugs. Just say no. Just say no. That was Nancy Reagan, right? Yeah, just okay. say no. Okay, I right, just making sure. Maybe. Maybe. It's time for the uh, main event. The main event. The main event. Michael Wolf is on one. Michael Wolf is a legend. Fire <laughs> and Fury. Absolutely insane. I already bought a copy. I can't wait to read it. We have a book club. Absolutely. Fire and Fury book club. Absolutely. This is this is mad buzz. This is this is a hot story, yeah. and it's a nice change of pace. Uh, Absolutely. From the death march of Trump politics over the last year, uh, what Michael Wolf has done, he has pulled the ultimate power move for journalists. Journalists dream of being able to do this. He conned his way in, convinced these people that he was friendly that he was aligned with their interests, got them to talk freely. He exploited the fact that nobody in the Trump White House knows what they're doing. There's no organizational control. Uh, he was just wandering around, you know, unchecked, which is, which is kind of a significant failure of protocol. Um, and he got these people to talk off the record, which is freaking hilarious because they're assholes. And and what happens when you're an asshole is that people treat you like an asshole. Yep. And he's he is under no obligation to honor that off the record agreement because they they these people have no they have no moral compass and they have been burned. They have been burned in the most public, uh, high profile manner you can imagine. This book is everywhere. Everyone's talking about it. It is a defining moment for the Trump presidency. Uh, and, and this guy, I mean, you know, credit to him. 
this is this is fantastic. One one thing that I thought was interesting was when this was first coming up in the news a couple of days ago. There's a lot of people on Twitter trying to uh, cast doubt as to Michael Wolf's credentials. Right. Uh, the Twitterati were were circling the wagons and kind of saying, "Well, you know, he's a gossip columnist. He's just writing a book for a buck." But these people are on Twitter writing about nothing for free. So, I I think I think Michael Wolf has done done a, a service. Uh, it is gossip. It is mad gossip. Some people love gossip. I love drama. It's just <laughs> a fact of human nature. Um, but there is there is also some very essential newsworthiness to to what he is writing. Uh, one thing in particular is Trump uh, not recognizing people that he has known for years. He, this this man is eating things. He's not in the early stages of dementia. He he is advanced. Yeah. He's well into it. Um, I mean, I touched on that last week. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is about Republicans and their desire to elect senile TV personalities to the presidency. That's, that's too. Well, two two. I mean, Donald Trump, Donald Trump is a symptom of the problem. He is a billionaire. He represents the party of billionaires. So, you know, th- uh, this is exactly what the Republicans manifested. And, and the fact that he is losing his mind um, kind of coincides with the Republican Party losing its mind. What are, what are they doing? What is going on here? Some strange uh, parallels going on. Um, something very strange is going on with the Republican Party. Uh, we, we saw this, I believe it was two days ago. Uh, Paul Ryan had a meeting with Rosenstein about the documents that Nunes, Devin Nunes, who is, uh, he's, he's low. He's low. He's like he was like a used car salesman. Um, he's not a man worthy of our esteem or respect. Mr. Nunez was trying to strong arm some documents uh, concerning the Steele dossier, and uh, Rosenstein came over and was pretty much laying down the law, saying, "Hey, Mueller, big baller Bob Mueller is already very involved with the Steele dossier, and uh, y'all can't have these documents." Paul Ryan and Lindsey Graham. Uh, have doubled down. They they have tripled down. They have tied themselves inexorably to Trump's presidency, which is which is a astonishing change of course for these men. Paul Ryan famously uh, had differences with Mr. Trump. Um, Lindsey Graham also had some harsh words for for him at various times. And after one trip to the golf course with Lindsey Graham and Donald Trump, all of a sudden they're they're BFFs. Uh, everyone's on board. Everyone's together, and and this this kind of points to something that is happening. Something is happening. Uh, something very interesting behind the scenes is going on. Donald Trump has a physical at the Walter Reed Medical Facility scheduled for January twelfth. This has some portent about it. Uh, the way that it's been presented, the way that it's been reported on, the way that it has emerged from the Trump organization within the White House. Uh, it's not, this is not a regular physical. This is not, he's, he's going to go, you know, turn his head, cough, uh, get a letter from the doctor saying he's the healthiest man in America. The, the healthiest man ever. Yeah, ever. In, in all of history. Um, he's the Genghis Khan of, I'm just assuming Genghis Khan was healthy. He was certainly <laughs> viral. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of genetics. Yes. Attributed to Genghis Khan. Uh, no, that's not what's happening here. He's losing his mind. He's 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 well off into it, and uh, the tweets from this morning only serve to uh, 
serve to impress that upon the public. And what's interesting here is that Donald Trump is the first social media president. And what this has allowed us as the American public to experience is a direct portal into the mind of the most powerful man on the planet. And, uh, you know, 140 characters or less, I guess it's 280, if you're special. Does, every, does everyone have 280 now? Yeah, then. Oh man, they changed the terms of service so that you know you can't you can't use hate speech on Twitter, but you can't threaten nuclear annihilation. Yeah, you'll, you'll get banned for calling somebody a soulless ginger, but uh, you can't persecute your political enemies like uh, Stalin's Gulag Archipelago was fully in play in Mar-a-Lago, Gulag Alago. Uh, not not a big fan of Twitter, but. It is useful in that you can see the man's ability to coherently think deteriorate over time. You had a tweet from like 2012 where he said something like, uh, you know, October 2012, the Coca-Cola company is not happy with me. That's okay. I'll still keep drinking that garbage. It's kind of funny. There's like a degree of self-awareness there. Um, you know, he, he seems to recognize that he's kind of a fat, disgusting guy who drinks Coca-Cola. Uh, Self-disparagement even. Um and that no longer exists. Donald Trump is now uh, out of his mind, and you can see it in the things that he writes on social media. And a clear example of that, just this past Tuesday, January 2nd, the infamous 16 Tweet Tuesday. Uh, Trump's version of 16 bars, he's, he's out there thinking he's ethering people with these, uh, these tweets. <laughs> so according to Donald Trump, on his watch, there have been zero commercial air flight deaths. And it's all due to him. I mean, he's truly an amazing man. Incredible, even. The best. How are you going to take credit for that? Like, he's not flying a plane. Uh, there, there was an, a proposal uh, to privatize parts of the FC, FAA. FAA. Uh, but, I mean, nothing has happened there. So... He's an incredible man. He's taking credit for things that he has no influence on. Uh, Self-aggrandizing, obviously, but also he probably believes it. Um, any any good thing that Trump encounters, any good news, it's because of him. And it's a, it's a negative feedback loop in his mind where everything just makes him greater, makes him more magnificent, and anything that challenges that sends him into fits of rage and hysteria and and that that's largely confirmed in michael wolf's book that everybody treats him like a child uh, because if he is upset then he just he, go, he goes crazy you can't have a toddler in charge of this stuff it's the largest military in history and this guy gets mad if uh you know you don't let him watch teen titans or whatever um i don't know i mean and he's bragging about the size of his button uh, big buttons. There is no button. Okay, first of all, no button exists. Okay, there is no button the football. on this man's desk. It's not really a football either. It's a no, bag. No, it's not. It's a bag. Um, what's in the bag? What's in the bag? Who's the bag man? It's like in, uh, in uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, you know, no one knows what's in the briefcase. <laughs> what's in the box? <laughs> Yeah, the, the button thing is ridiculous. One one curious aspect of that is that North Korea is now talking directly with South Korea. Do we give Trump credit for that, for being so absolutely insane that he's driven these two opposing powers into reasonable dialogue? Well, you know that if uh, peace talks are actually struck between these uh, two countries, that 
uh, Trump will absolutely take the credit for it. He'll he'll also take credit for Glasnost and Perestroika and uh, the collapse of the Berlin Wall (laughs) retroactively. Um, I mean, and and I suppose his tactics in this particular case may actually engender a positive outcome. But the thing is, you have to be willing to threaten nuclear holocaust. Like, you have to be willing to threaten millions of people's lives. Well, billions of people. Yeah. Well, a lot. It's a lot either way, uh, which is kind of a crazy thing to do, right? That's a total dick move. But it doesn't work if you get two people involved in that dynamic who are crazy and willing to threaten millions of people's lives. So I, it, it kind of seems like Kim Jong-un might be the reasonable guy in this whole dynamic because uh, I, it's, it's just unbelievably dangerous, uh, even if it does work, even even if acting like a crazy person does get us the result of a of a more compliant North Korea? You, you, you can't. That's a trick that you can only use once, and, and really, it's it's hard to ethically argue that it was the right thing to use it in the first place. Because I mean, it, it just takes one slip up. It takes one one weather satellite that's misinterpreted as a missile, and and you, hundreds of thousands of people will die. Fire and fury. Fire, Fire and, and fury. fury. It's, it's so, terrifying. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for joining me today. Everybody, please go out there and buy the book because we're going to be talking about it next week. Uh, This is Mike Most. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. subscribe. (laughs) Follow me at The Rundown MM on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And please subscribe to our podcast at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the Rundown MM forward slash podcast. I want to thank you for joining me once again. Y'all have a good week. We'll talk to you next time. Special thanks to all the beautiful mothers out there. Indeed. Indeed.